Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning. We're going to go a little bit off of the rails today. Uh, We are done with watching all of the videos in this um, series, this last series about um, true greatness with the gospel-centered parenting. And we're going to begin doing some integration as well as working on some particular issues um, that are are, um, on your plate. So um, I've listed out some things here for you on the board that I just want to um, go over by way of introduction. And then Adam and I are going to just, over the next couple of weeks, including today, um, try to respond to the kinds of things that we want to take as specific applications before we end this class right before Thanksgiving. So love to have questions that will come up today. I want to show you some of the sheets that you have in front of you. Um, Because what we're interested in is you moving forward in your parenting in a way that's meaningful for you. What what are the issues or what are the the concerns that you have? Uh, What are the parenting styles that you're trying to add yourself? Uh, As well as what are the child behaviors that you are working with right now that you are um, trying to improve or continue to foster? That's really what we would like to do over the next um, three weeks is just spend time sharing ideas, talking about things, you thinking through how am I going to apply some of these parenting skills that we're talking about. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll do a little bit that's on this board and um, jump into the handouts that you have and then any any kind of particular questions that that would come up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that uh, we have been studying this for a while and that we can come now and talk about Uh, what's really going on in our lives and our families and what we're doing well and what we struggle with and uh, what our children are doing well with and what they're struggling with. And we pray that you will grant to us the wisdom that we need and the transformation of ourselves uh, in whatever parenting areas that we need it. Um, Lord, we are so grateful that perfection is not the standard, but grace is. And so when we deviate from that and struggle, we can get back on track just like our children So we ask, Lord, that you will continue to grow us and develop us and help us to mature as parents and that you would help our children to do the same thing. Uh, We are all in this broken world together um, trying to have the very best family lives that we can. Uh, We ask that over the next three weeks when we talk about practical matters that you will help for us to leave with uh, reaffirmation of what we're doing well and some ideas about what to continue to think about, to add, to adapt, to change so that our families would be able to continue to thrive, grow, get back on track, whatever they need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things by way of reminder. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29a, um, oh, that, sorry, that should be b, um, is that um, those that God predestined, uh, those that God knew were going to be saved, is the way that we look at that. Um, that he has predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So here's what I want you to think about. Um, This is probably the premier verse on spiritual formation. This is what God is up to. He's up to this for you in your life. It's up. God is doing this in the life of your children. So here's the question. If you have a two-year-old, how does the image of Christ need to function in your two-year-old? What does a mature two-year-old look like? 
If you have a six-year-old, what does a mature six-year-old look like? If you have a 13-year-old, what does a mature 13-year-old look like? And so what you're really trying to um, understand is, well, this child has been created by God, has been given to me as a gift, created in the image of God, and this child has some amazing qualities and then is going to have some struggles. Those struggles will be based on genetics, that there, there are certain kinds of temperamental traits, which we'll talk about today. Um, there are going to be environmental pressures uh, from our family, from the world around them, through social media, that will push on them. Um, there will be their own thoughts about the way that the world should work. Um, some people are very, very realistic in nuts and bolts, and other people are super idealistic, and they have a hard time really grappling with what reality is. There's going to be strengths in school um, for academics or strengths in athletics or strengths in art some way, and then they'll be frustrated that they don't have strengths everywhere else. And then you have the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, in you. And so this developing godly children has the genetics, the environment, and the Holy Spirit that are involved with um, helping our children to really grow into, this is the way I like to think about it, grow into the image of Jesus. Now until our children are Christian and have named the name of Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit and are gifted by the Holy Spirit, they will gain a benefit from us being in our families as Christian families, but they themselves can only go so far. Uh, without this relationship with Christ. And so one of the goals that we have is to lead our children into a relationship with Christ and then help them to have a dynamic personal interaction with them, with, with Christ. And um, that's pretty difficult because oftentimes our kids just ride on the structures that they have. So it's hard for them to have a relationship with God who they can't see like they can see their friends, and so it, they could get distracted. So we're constantly talking with them. We're helping them to understand what prayer is like. We're helping them to take a look at the Word. And um, what I have noticed, even in my own children, was that um, it wasn't until they were older, 16-plus, um, and maybe even into their 20s, that they were actually making their faith their own because they would just ride on the structure of mom and dad. They would ride on the structure of Christ Church of Ornogo, and they would just show up, and they would do things, and we would talk to them, but um, they didn't have to do it on their own. And when they went to Ozark Christian College, they rode on the structure of Ozark Christian College. And so I have two of my children that, since they have graduated in their undergraduate work, are figuring out their faith on their own in their mid-20s which is really kind of interesting to me. I did not expect that. I grew up in a family where my dad was not a Christian. My mom took us to church, and faith had to be lived out purposefully every day in the face of criticism, is that I was either going to be a Christian um, and try to be a Christian with an antagonistic father and antagonistic brothers, or else I wasn't. There was no structure. I had no structure to go on. And so when you are raising your children with this structure, just be aware that they may ride on that structure. So you're working with them to be able to figure out how they can make faith their own. And so I've put up on the second verse, James chapter 1, verse 5, is that you need to be praying for wisdom. You need to pray for wisdom that um, your structure while it is probably good and godly to the best of its ability, does not get in the way and somehow carry your children to where they don't develop their own personal faith. The best way to develop a personal faith is through service. They have to do something. They have to volunteer. They have to be involved. They have to um, work with a, with a Christian nonprofit. They have to go on a, 
on a missions trip. They have to get involved somewhere to where they have to begin to use their faith in some fashion rather than just be a consumer. And even then, until they get out on their own and they see how it works, um, they might not put it all together because your family puts it together with them and for them. And so you're praying for wisdom all the time. Like, Lord, just help me have the conversation. Help me have the, the opportunity for the interaction as they make this their own. Um, and so um, what I'd like to do is talk to you just a little bit about genetics um, right now. And on the hot sheet for parenting, which is the, this um, larger um, handout that you have, if you would open up to page number three, I want to show you the genetics, the temperamental traits. We've talked a little bit about this, but this is the first time I think that I've given this to you. Research has found nine temperamental traits, and these are on a continuum from high to low, and each one of your children moves on that continuum, but um, accents a particular place. Now, when they are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, it's called HALT, H-A-L-T, whatever the negative traits are will be accelerated. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Something we use in the addiction literature in order to help people who get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired to recognize that they may actually choose inappropriately. Here's what's happening biologically. The, um, the hunger center, the sexual center, the emotional center for anger and loneliness are in the middle of your brain, uh, in the amygdala system. And um, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, um, you will reach for something emotional at that point in time. Um, you are just hardly any space away from your hunger area, your sexual area, and your emotional area when you experience those things, which is why a lot of people get in trouble with overeating. They go for comfort foods. They don't eat. Uh, to have some level of control. They have a lot of sexual issues, and they have lots of emotional explosions. Uh, because right there in that emotional area in the center of your brain, when you are stressed out, that area is more likely to malfunction on you. You will have an emotional response in less than one second. And if you don't know what to do that's healthy, you will just do whatever is natural for you to do. You'll do whatever is temperamentally a part of your life. I am 83% red, which means that when I get going, if I don't have any other emotional um, component within my amygdala, within that emotional center, I will go for power and I will bully you to get what I want. Those are the two things that I will do ever since a child. My mom used to say, man, you're just like a really mad, angry grizzly bear whenever you're tired. And I'm like, I didn't notice it. Because it was normal for me to lash out. It was normal for me to say I didn't like something. It was normal for me to yell. It was normal. I, I didn't, didn't feel like that was abnormal at all. That's my temperament. Now, that temperament had to be refined because that's not a healthy way to live your life. But that was, that's a part of my story. And it will be until the day I die because I'm 83% red. And so that's an area that needs constant work with the Holy Spirit so that I have options when, that, when I get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And the way that you have options, remember we've talked a little bit about this, is you have to be able to meditate, pre-plan, think through, mentally rehearse what your options are when you're compromised. Um, and that's what gets into your emotional system. So when the scripture says meditate on the word of God, the word meditate means mumble. 
Say it over and over and over again. It, it, it's like repeat the word of God over and over and over again until you have it memorized. And then you say it again and 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 you say it again. And what happens then is that the word of God goes from somewhere out here that you can use when you're thinking about it to deep within your emotional system. And the Holy Spirit then can, is more able to transform you because now you have a response inside of you. And so my first thing about being angry is don't say anything. Don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. You know what your grandmother said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that, that was my very first transformational experience as somebody who would go for power. Don't say anything. And then I would just get really quiet. And then people would say, why are you so quiet? Because if I talk to you, you won't like it. And then they didn't like that. And so I learned, well, you can't say that. You have to be quiet. You know, I thought that was a nice thing to say. Please leave me alone. Because if you push too hard, I don't know what else to do. And so I'm going to attack you. Okay, I'm going to attack you. And then I had to learn, well, instead of that, then what are some other skills? And so I had to keep practicing over and over and over to where now I can be really angry, but it is less likely for me to be out of control. That is what transformation does. I can still have that emotional like <clears throat> inside of me because that's kind of a natural temperamental trait. And God did not change my temperamental trait. He changed my temperamental reaction. He didn't change me because he needs me to be 83% red to do some of the things that I do, especially when I work with abused people. It's because I can do that and I can leave and not feel crushed and and horrible as a result of working with people with their difficult stories. As an 83% red, I can maintain some level of detachment, which is nice, but I can't let some of the negative side of my personality take over. So here's my question for you. What are some of the negative temperamental traits that you have that flare and hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? Do you withdraw? Do you pout? Do you attack? Do you ignore? What, what do you do? Because God is going to transform you by giving you information, giving you options when you don't want to do them so that you can see his power deep in your life. And what you're doing now with your children is you're helping them when they have that flare up to do the same thing. So if you have a child that withdraws and won't speak to you and gives you the silent treatment, what you're going to have to do is help them to learn how to find the words to talk about what's going on. Because the more they have the silent treatment and the more that they just make up their own reality, the more they distort what's really going on. If you have a child that overeats, you're going to have to say, I know that you want to overeat right now, but let's talk about that. Because overeating will ultimately lead to some other um, problems that you really don't want to have. If you have somebody who goes into hyperdrive with tons of activity to try to get everything done, like they're just like all of a sudden super active and super busy and they're not going to slow down, they're trying to outrun how they're feeling. And eventually how they're feeling is going to catch up with them and it's gonna, they're going to just collapse. They're going to be so exhausted and in the end it's going to be worse than at the beginning. So when, when you're looking at all of that, what I want you to know is that we all, if we were to put our little things up here and we could do that anonymously, um, we would all have something in our temperamental traits that needs the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first thing I want you to see is your children need your story. They need you to say, hey, this, this kind of happens to me too. But here's what I found out about God. So let's just look at these nine areas real quick. Let me make a comment about them. Activity level. This is how active and inactive they are. So if you have a lot of testosterone in your kids, they're going to be super active. And what you're going to have to do is work out their 
um, frustration, their anxiety physically. If you send them to their room or if you tell them to sit down and be quiet, they can't do that because they have so much activity inside of them that they cannot comply. More boys than girls have trouble in school because they're told to be quiet, focus, sit down at the table and listen to me for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they have this biology of testosterone inside of them that it makes it difficult for them to do that. Actually, uh, the American public school system fits girls better than boys for that reason. Okay? So boys need to get out. They need to run. If you're a teacher, you don't say, well, you've just lost your recess and you have to sit down in a desk. That makes it worse. You know, it's like in teachers. That's right. Just go out and run and you'll do better. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That actually is helpful for them. So here's what I want you to know. If you have a child, yeah, if you have a child like this, give them an active timeout. We used to have our kids run around the house, and I would time them. It was really a lot of fun. I said, wow, and you got so much energy. Let's, how fast can you run around the house? And they'd run around the house, and the first time was always the fastest. And they would run around the house, and I'd say, oh, wow, you know, that was like, that was like oh, 30 seconds slower. You probably need to pick up the pace. Try it again. And that would still be 30 seconds slower after that. And finally, when they're like, okay, I'm really tired, they could come back in. And it was like, that was really cool. Let's just keep track of this. Because the issue was too much energy. It wasn't a bad heart. Do you hear the difference? When you know what the temperament is, you know how active they are, you have to help them manage their own energy level. If you have a sloth, you know, somebody who's like, oh, I'm not going to do anything at all, you've got to get them up and you've got to get them going because if their activity level is too low, they're, they're just going to be unmotivated about everything. And you're going to have to help them figure out what's a period of good activity and what's a period where you've got to get rid of that activity. Let's talk about number two, rhythmicity, regularity. The predictability or unpredictability of the timing of the biological functions, hunger, sleep, wake, and bowel elimination. We used to set our clock by um, one of our children's bowel movements, 6 o'clock every night, poop. That's what it was. It was hilarious. Six o'clock every night. It was like, wow, you are like Mr. Rhythmic. Um, my wife is very rhythmic. I am not. I don't have a lot of biological rhythms that happen at the same time. I can go to bed at various times. I don't get really tired at the same time. Vanna gets tired at about the same time. She sleeps about the same time. She gets up at about the same time. Some people are super rhythmic. Guess what happens if you blow the rhythm? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so if you have a child that is really, really rhythmic and you mess that up because you're not really, really rhythmic, then what's going to happen is that child's going to have way more stress, way more anger, way more frustration. If they don't eat when they need to eat, if they don't go to bed when they go to bed, you're like, oh, no, it's okay. We'll go out and we'll go do this thing. Don't do it and expect a lovely time. Um, so if I know lots of parents who aren't rhythmic and they have rhythmic children, and they just like feed them you know, within an hour and a half time period, that's not very good. They go to a restaurant and they're like, man, that was just like awful, horrible. They cried and screamed the whole time. Well, they were an hour late to eat. Mom's like, I could wait an hour late. Dad says he could wait an hour late. Kids can't wait, okay? You're the steward of your children. They will eventually have to learn how to be healthy and, and holy and good outside of their rhythm but if they need a rhythm, then you're going to have to pay attention to that. And if they don't have rhythms, then you have to watch them because if they don't have rhythms, what will happen is they can be like a top and they can spin out of control somewhere else because they just won't eat. And then eventually, you remember, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? That, they're going to be more tired. They're going to be more frustrated. And they won't even know why because they don't have those regular rhythms. So for me, I have to watch that because I have to make my own rhythms. I actually say in my mind, go to bed. Go to bed. 
because I'm not super tired, go to bed. Because I know that if I have three nights where I'm slow to go to bed and I run out of energy by that third and fourth day, it's going to be emotionally more difficult for me. I'm going to wake up and go, oh, I have to go to work today. People are going to tell me their problems. I just want to be left alone. And what's happened is, because I don't have rhythms, naturally, I now am out of energy that I didn't see coming. So now I know I have about three days where I've got to watch that because if I have way too much stress, then I know by that fourth day, I'm going to be out of my own, I'm going to be out of energy. Okay? Approach and withdrawal. I like this one. This is like introvert, extrovert. Um, do you like it when people approach you or do you withdraw? Do you like new social situations or do you have trouble with all of that? This is that approach and withdrawal. So the way that a child responds to a new situation or a new item. Approach responses are positive and may be displayed by mood expression, smiling, positive language, facial expression, and motor activity. You're going to eat the new food. You're going to play with the toy. Um, Austin would eat anything, any food and any combination. Alex, not so much. Alex liked these food groups, ice cream, french fries, and pizza. That was it. So whenever I put a regular food item in him, we, we just said, you have to eat this. And he would just stare at it. And I'm like, you have to eat that because you can't just live off of ice cream, french fries, and pizza. You just can't do that. Well, I'm not going to. I'm like, Bleh. he has a withdrawal with him for new experiences. He's a high introvert. People like him, but he has no trouble hurting your feelings if you want to do something with him and he doesn't want to do it with you. He'll just say no. That's it. Yeah, just no, I'm not going to do it. It's just withdrawal. And then you have those people that want to experience everything. Austin wants to experience everything. He has a hard time saying no. And so he has to learn how to say no. And Austin, has, Alex has to learn how to say yes. In my same, I look at them and I go, did you come from our, the same family? What is wrong with you? Okay, this is the continuum, back and forth. You never know what you're going to get until you begin to unpack the gift. And the gift is God made your children and he has a place for them in his kingdom. And so a person who has withdrawal has a place, like a person who has approach has a place. And so it's not like they're bad people, but now I'm, I'm an approach person. Van is a withdrawal person. I have to be able to manage a withdrawal child, which is really foreign to me. Why don't you want to go? Come on, this is really pretty exciting. I mean, Scooty and I are both approach people, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're different in some other ways, but we are the same that way. So we're going to have the same boundary issues of getting tired by going above and beyond, where um, Alex will have people think that they don't like him because he just said, no, I don't want to do that, and he doesn't mind. And Vanna, you know, she doesn't mind going home. She's like, well, how long are we going to stay at that party? Because I want to know before I go when we're going to leave. And I said, we're taking two cars, so I can stay and you can go if you want to. That's how we solve that problem, because I feel like it's rude to leave in the middle of a conversation where somebody's dumping their story on me, and it's now time to leave. And my, Vanna, my, my wife, Vanna, does not think it's rude, because nobody dumps their story on her. She doesn't get caught in that. Now, when she does, which she hopes never happens, because she doesn't like to counsel people, she'll stay. But it's rare that that happens. And I'm like, gosh, why are we so different? But we are. Anyway, approach and withdrawal. Notice adaptability, long-term response to a new or altered situation. This temperamental quality addresses how easily the initial response to a situation is altered or modified. Adam and I are both adaptable. You put us in a new position, we're going to go. Uh, Matt Gilchrist, if you know him, who's traveled around the world, you put him in a new culture, he's fine with that. If I were to take somebody who's never traveled outside of the United States, they're not as adaptable. But he's like Mr. Adaptable at all. And so what you're now looking at is if, you're, if you visit somewhere, 
Does your child feel stress because it's a new environment, or does your child just go, okay, I'm checking this out, and I'm going to be okay, and I'm just going to make this thing work for me? Um, that's adaptability. So, you know, if you want to be on a club at school, if you want to have new friends, if you want to um, be involved with people or visit a church or go to CIY for the first time, adaptability has a lot to do with how well will you do emotionally. And those that are less adaptable in a new situation will just feel more stressed. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You could feel lonely in that because nobody else, you don't know anybody. And so you're going to come home from a CIY, you're going to come home from a church experience all grumpy and irritable. Because if the right people didn't talk to you or something didn't happen, you're going to be frustrated with that. Okay? Notice five, sensory threshold. This is one of my favorite ones. The intensity level of stimulation necessary to evoke an observable response regardless of the way the child responds. So what they've been able to find is that if you are a baby who has a very high threshold and you get really disturbed by noises and chaos and, um, and situations, you're actually going to be an introvert because you're responding to it. If you're the kind of baby that just lays there in the middle of all that chaos, you're going to be an extrovert. Isn't that interesting? Because you can take more sensory input. So this was really interesting. We have a combination of in, um, introverts and extroverts from this standpoint. If extroversion on the Myers-Briggs is you get your energy and excitement and enthusiasm from the environment around you, the more chaotic the environment is, the better you feel. The more energy that's there, the better you feel. The more people talk to you, the more excitable that is. So you might have a child that loves to interact with everybody and every stranger and just goes around and talks to everybody and just gets more and more and more and more excited. So that person has an ability to go out and, and um, have this um, high level of sensory stimulation and thrives on that. And they can get completely out of control, put themselves in a the wrong situation because they can't read everything. And then you got the child that's, please don't speak to me. Because if you talk to me, I'm going to be really irritated at you because I don't even want to talk right now. I've had way too much sensory information. My wife does not like to watch certain movies because there's too much going on in it. She doesn't like music all the time going on in the house because there's too much auditory sound. That's a part of that. She doesn't mind when she chooses it. She doesn't like it when I choose it because I'll choose it and then I'll crank it up. Because I like noise and sound and sights and people and all of that. And she's like, mm -hmm, don't do that. Now, um, she's more sensitive. And so when she's gone, I crank stuff up and we have a really great time and all that. And when she comes home, I crank it back down because I know that there's a threshold that's there that's biological. So here's what I want you to know. Just a little marital help with you here. We, if we don't watch it, we try to change each other to be like us. Mm -hmm. Because... Because us, me, makes sense to me, but you don't make sense to me. And so a lot of our marital difficulty is us trying to make the other person like us, which is really interesting. I just want you to know that. Guess what we do with our kids? We try to make them like us because we make sense. And so what we're trying to do is make them like Jesus. We're trying to make them like Jesus with who they are temperamentally because these can be modified but they generally cannot be changed modified so my own need for power and my need to you know when I get grumpy and irritable I can modify that <clears throat> but if I were honest with you I could still tell you that there are times that I get grumpy and irritable and I try not to show it because I'm just I'm trapped in my own genetics 
And I'm not ever going to use it as an excuse to not be like Jesus because you don't see Jesus being grumpy and irritable. You don't see Jesus just withdrawing because he's ticked at somebody. You you don't see bad behavior out of Jesus. Um, What you see is Jesus in a human body, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's what you see. And so for me, it's like, well, how, do I, how am I steward of my own story? Now, here's the other interesting thing. Those of you that are getting older, you know this. You deteriorate with time. So your ability to manage things actually becomes compromised. So what you could do when you were younger, you can't do so much when you're older, which means that you need more of the work of God in you to maintain that higher level because we just get tired of the struggle I can't tell you how many times that I get tired of people telling me, well, you know, you're just too direct. Or, you know, you were just really frustrated there and you just said that. And I'm like, yes, that is a part of my story. And people that are around me that are really close will see that. You will not probably see that in my professional life because I have a professional Peter. And then I have the hungry, angry, lonely, tired Peter that you bump into at home when I'm exhausted. And that's when that, that little sharpness may show up. So if you say, well, you know, you're not living consistently, it's like, oh, no, I am living consistently. It's just that there are times that in my own personality, you're going to see that a little bit more than others. And I work really hard to not show that when I'm out in my professional life because nobody wants that. You know, you, if you want to talk to me, you don't want me to be sharp and harsh with you. And Vanna doesn't want me to be sharp and harsh, and the kids don't want me to be sharp and harsh. But sometimes um, when they bump up against that and I'm really, really tired, I'll get a little snappy with that. And so you'll see that. And the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, why is that still happening to me? It's happening to me because sin enters through our bodies and we are tempted and we have these natural ways of relating that still need the work of God in us. He's not going to make us perfect. So with your children, they're not ever going to be perfect. They're going to be interacting with you through some of these genetic abilities. Um, number six, quality of mood. <laughs> this one is so fun. Do any of you have a child that was super, super happy growing up at all? Does anyone have that? A child, yeah. Does anybody have a child that was super, super grumpy and irritable growing up? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Quality of mood. Um, what, what we need to be aware of is that we don't control that. Um, but we're going to have to modify that. So there are times that a super, super happy child has to be quieter because that super, super happy and jokester about things and just playfulness is not really appropriate at a somber occasion. And then there are times that people are really, really grumpy, and it's like, okay, this is a time for you to really, like, put a smile on your face because it's your birthday. And, you know, even if you don't get a swimming pool in the backyard, you still need to be happy because it's your birthday, and we can't afford a swimming pool anyway. You know, it's like, it's Eeyore. Versus Tigger is what this is. Um, And so you're always looking at this quality of mood. And here's what I want you to know. Number six is one of those things that triggers parents. Triggers parents. We have mirror neurons in us. Mirror neurons mean that I'm going to just use this with Scooty. If Scooty and I get into a conflict and I am grumpy and irritable to Adam, there's a mirror neuron in Adam that says respond in the same way. It's just there. It, It is the bonding neuron that God gave us so that when babies are being fed by mom and they're looking at mom and they're all having a great time, they're bonding together. And when dad's holding the baby and they're having a great time, they bond together. But if we get into a conflict or if Adam says something to me that I don't particularly like, I can have that flashiness that goes up because there's this mirror neuron that's actually firing inside of us. And what we have to do in our relationship as well as our family relationship is that we have to be able to say, okay, I've got a neuron, a mortar neuron, I'm sorry, mirror neuron firing, and I want to respond as the big person. 
Peter's obviously in distress. Adam's obviously in distress. Or I'm going to be the kind of friend where he can say anything to me that he wants to, and I'm still going to treat him with the kindness that he deserves because he's created in the image of God. And if he's having a struggle, why do I want to make it worse by attacking him? That's my question. Okay, that's my amygdala speaking in a healthy way. Now, what I want to do is be able to live that way. When your children do that to you, it means they're having trouble. So when you yell at them or you treat them poorly, it just means they have more trouble. Because that mirrorness is anger upon anger only makes the fire bigger, right? And you don't want to really have that. And so what you're really looking at, what I've noticed here, is this quality of mood tends to be one of the flashpoints that people have. So Because this can hit you out of the blue. You can be having a regular great day, and then somebody hits this flashpoint, and all of a sudden you're like, what happened here? What I want you to know is in your emotional center that, that flashes in less than a second, you've got those mirror neurons. And what you want to do is have the image of Christ, Christ the healer, Christ the, the one who um, grabs you and moves forward with you, this grace-based parenting style deep within you that simply says this, tell me more. That's all I want you to say in this, tell me more. Just be quiet. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But you can learn how to say, tell me more, and then just be quiet because they'll burn themselves out. They cannot sustain that anger unless you give it to them. They can't. But if you can embrace it, you're like taking the oxygen out if you don't respond in in a negative way. And if you just say, well, tell me more. I'm really sorry that you're really angry. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And then you teach them afterwards what they can and cannot say to you. But if you try to correct them in the middle of an angry spike, you just get more of a fight. You've got to absorb it, and like a blanket on a fire or a fire suppressant, you've got to put it out. And you put it out by letting it burn out with, well, tell me more. I know this is really hard so for you. understand the verse of heaping coals on Yes, yes, it makes yes. And a soft answer turns away wrath, those things. We are wired to, to have that die out, which is really kind of cool. Ask me how good I am at this. This is a struggle. It's a struggle. Nobody likes to be treated poorly. Now, if you do this to me, I can do it for you because I don't see you all that much and I go into Peter professional mode. But in my family, I don't expect you to treat me that way. I have a different level of expectation. If Scooty gets mad at me, then I'm going to let him do his thing. I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to go, yeah, I didn't handle that really well. But if we, if we were like best friends and he could read me and I'm having a rough time and, and I accidentally tick him off and he goes Wah, all over me, we may end up having a fuss. Because we don't normally have a fuss. And it's like we have different expectations. Then we have to go back and figure that out. So what I would say to you is watch your expectations. But one of the expectations I want you to add is be a fire suppressant. Be a fire suppressant. And I've added that probably in my 40s. I'm a super slow learner. Just want you to know that. Something I learned in my 40s. Um, I practiced it through my 50s. I'm way better at it if I catch it. If not, I try to stomp it out by adding more fire to it. I don't know about you, or some of you may withdraw and not want anything to do with it. Okay, Three more, and then I'll let you guys talk about this. Intensity of reaction. This is you give give input, and then people respond. Input, and people respond. Input, and people respond. And so what I'm asking you now is how much input do you need to give to your child to get your child to move? Um, For Audrey, um, she had a very high intensity of reaction. So if she was having trouble, I would just pull her aside and say, Audrey, I really don't want you to do that. This is what I want you to do instead. And she would say, okay. And she would self-correct. Very high level of reaction. It was really, really good. Little input, high level. Alex, not so much. 
you could talk to him till you're blue in the face, and he would still go do whatever he wanted to do. Um, and so we had to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And he finally got there, but his genetics were such that if you wanted to correct him in some way, he could not sustain that correction. He had a low intensity of reaction. Now, if he got mad, he had high intensity of reaction, and he would just yell or carry on or something like that. But as far as trying to correct, I had to just continue to coach him and remind him and catch him and say, hey, now today, remember, you're not going to bite anybody today. <laughs> you know, when you get really angry, this is what I need you to do. With Audrey, she never bit anybody. She just had trouble verbalizing things. Um, she had trouble because she would try to control with her mouth. She was not particularly aggressive like the boys were. And so she would just kind of autocorrect in some way. So here's the deal. One of your kids um, has, a, has a teacher that doesn't treat them very well. Intensity of reaction. How do they respond for the rest of the day and that night? Do they have emotional regulation? And can they kind of process that? Or do they just have their whole day wrecked? They have a conflict with one of their best friends. What's their intensity of reaction? Do they bring that conflict home and dump it on you so they play kick the cat? They get kicked. They kick you. You kick each other as spouses. And then you go to bed mad because you have a mad child. I mean, what, what is the intensity of your reaction? And again, you're a fire suppressant. You're just like, okay, intensity of reaction. If you have a strong reaction, then you, you let me hear what that reaction is, and I'm going to help you to deal with that. Um, distractibility. This is where the whole idea of ADHD comes in, is distractibility. Is can I stay focused on a task, or do I just lose my attention and lose my focus with all of that? Everybody has some level of distractibility, and what you're asking yourself is, can I see a task all the way through, or is that really difficult for me? And the last one is persistence and attention span. This is kind of the same thing, is can I really stick to a task? Can I see it all the way through? Um, so can I be, and I hate to use the word OCD too strongly here, but if I'm reading a book, do I want to finish it? And I get really angry if you say, hey, you've got to stop doing that. What about a game? Do I have persistence with that game? What about a conversation with somebody? What about an activity? Do I want to see it all the way through to be able to get it done? Now, here's, here's what I want for you guys to talk about at your tables is I'd like for you to just kind of chat a little bit about how you see these playing in your life. Because you don't have necessarily, I want to say it like this, you don't have kids that have maliciousness in their hearts. You have kids who have genetics in their lives. And they can ultimately have maliciousness in their hearts. But I believe that children are born without sin. I don't, I don't believe in original sin, like you are a sinner at birth. But I do believe that you have temperamental traits. And these temperamental traits are the avenue by which sin can enter into your life. They are the avenues by which glory enters into your life also. And love for you to talk a little bit about how this, what some thoughts or reactions that you have. Um, Adam, do you want to say anything about this before we zip on? Anything that kind of comes to your mind? Um, just uh, probably the mirror neurons. Uh, mirror neurons is, is a fascinating thing to me. And, and I just want to give another example. Um, you ever notice for guys, you're watching a sporting event and you just are incredibly enthusiastic about like, go, 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 go. Those are mirror neurons because we actually put ourselves in that situation and it's like we're running for the touchdown. We're swinging the bat for the home run. Um, or, or maybe uh, you're watching a show and it's, it's very intense and emotional and, and ladies, guys even, right, we get, we get emotional. There, there's tears 
because you're empathizing, you're putting yourself in that situation. That, that Those are mirror neurons. And so I think practically whether we feel that emotionally or not, sometimes, a lot of times, it's, it's good to try to put ourselves in the situation of another person, right? So when, when our child is acting nuts and we don't get it, like there's, there's a lack of comprehension, like why are you doing this? Um, being able to just step back and empathize with them, right? Um, we, Hebrews says that we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to empathize with us in all of our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And so what is triggering your child in that moment, right? Do they, do they not feel listened to? Do they not feel loved? Are they just, you know, halt? Are they hungry? Are they angry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? Um, all these things. And so these are just things that I would uh, encourage as we raise our children, are we able to take a step back and go, okay, what way may be the triggers right now and how are they feeling? Why are they feeling this way? So excellent. So I think we can go into that sheet, like Peter said, and uh, just talk about how we see ourselves in that and, and even our children. We're going to finish up here. Let me get this all on. Okay. My question for you is what are you going to do this week differently as a result of having some of this information? So here are a couple of things that I want you to think about. Um, I would like for you to go back here and pray for wisdom that you would really be able to stay aware um, in the moment of what your child, maybe even what your spouse needs from you right now. If you see a flare-up, some kind of surprise. And the best thing that I have learned that has been really helpful to me is tell me more about that. Tell me more about how you're feeling. Tell me more about what's going on. Uh, because what can happen is, is that if you're like me, you are constantly, either consciously or unconsciously, scanning the emotions in the environment. And when something gets out of normal you know that somebody is either angry, cranky, withdrawn, or something. And if you go and have an interaction with that person, you may end up getting splatted on. Somebody might say something to you or do something to you that is, is a stronger emotion than what is needed during that time period. And so one of, the, one of the skills that you can develop is tell me some more about that and tell me how you're doing. And just not try to correct it. When we have learned about crisis... Um, you're heading for a behavioral crisis when um, your emotional system is starting to flare up. So somebody could throw a toy. Somebody could slam a door. Somebody could push somebody else. I mean, that's where you're headed. And the number one way to avoid that is to verbally let them tell you what's going on. It's called support. And if that person feels supported and understood in their emotions then they will tend to have those emotions wash themselves out. And then when they relax, you can begin to talk with them. If you try to direct them over their emotions, they're not really ready for that because they're still having this strong emotional experience, which makes them more defensive. 
And if you can't, by support, help them, then you have to contain that strong emotion, that strong defensive position, by either giving them some time to calm down, or you have to begin directing them with some limits. You can't pitch a fit here. You're going to have to go to your room. Or, hey, we're going to have to leave. If this is too difficult for you, then let's just kind of pull back and let's not be around so many people. You're going to have to actually do something. So the first goal is get them to talk. If they can talk and relax, that's great. If it's just you and that person, you could probably do that anywhere privately. But if it's you and a family, you might not want them to talk in front of other people. So you might want to say, hey, let's just go privately and go sit in your room and talk, or let's go sit in my room and talk or something. And if you move, here's the secret, if you move, they will tend to follow you because there's this personal space thing that's going on. So if I just said to my kids, hey, we probably need to go in the room and just kind of have a more private conversation because it's too noisy out here or you know, your brothers and sisters don't really need to hear what we're talking about, and you get up and you start walking, there's a pretty good chance that your um, child will follow you because they'll only let you get so far before they'll, like an invisible little leash, they'll follow you. Um, so you can try that. It's something that I would do with my children um, is just say, hey, let, let's just go into your room and just kind of chat then. And if they know that that's safe, because you're not going to yell at them, you're not going to hurt them, um, then they could have that private conversation. That could be really good. Um, but the big goal is tell me more, tell me kind of what's going on. And you might not be able to do anything about it, but all they want to know is do you care about me in that moment? Do you care about me? Yes. So my daughter's 15 and has her permit, so she wants to drive a lot. Mm -hmm. I have found that if we go driving, she talks to me a lot. Yep. Yep. So it helps to have that one-on-one -on -one time with yes. her. It's her car, so we tell her she can listen to whatever music she wants to in that car. I am very open to all kinds of music, but some of the stuff she listens to really is questionable to me. Mm -hmm. But I will change it if I don't like it, because yep. that's, as parents, that's what we say we can do. Yep. If we don't like the song, we're going to change it. She talks a lot in the car. Yep. That's so good. Always put them in a place maybe where what they like, yeah. not necessarily what you like. Yeah. Often, if you've got a boy, if you do some task with him, he'll open up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Play catch, um, clean, clean a garage together, pick up a room together, um, go out shopping together because you've got some tasks to do. Guys build relationships through doing something together more than just sitting and talking to each other. I mean, generally speaking, we're ladies. Um, they're they're going to build uh, relationships through conversation wherever they can have it. So even with a guy, if you're driving, that may be a task where he would want to talk to you the same way because you're doing something. So for guys, you do something rather than just sit and stare at each other. Ladies are much better at building conversation like that because they like to, generally speaking, once they feel comfortable, they're going to find words and build it emotionally that way. So. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Yes. 
other, the other thing about the car is everybody has slowed down enough. It's kind of like tucking them in bed at night. It's just you and them. So think about creating an environment where it's just you and your son or daughter, and they're more likely to talk to you if you're doing something during that time period, which is, I think, a really cool thing. So just kind of play with that and practice that in some way. Um, so you've got the tell me more about that. The second thing is pray for them, even, even verbally, that they would learn how to have, and I like the word blend, have the right blend for the right situation. I don't like the word balance because it seems like you have an equal amount of things, but what you sometimes have to have more of one thing and less of another. So teach them about blend. Sometimes, even as an extrovert um, and being a very high red, I have to go to a meeting and be quiet instead of take over. Um, because I'm like, I don't have to take over. It would be offensive to take over. It'd be, I don't have to say whatever I'm thinking. What I want is that person who's leading the meeting to be able to lead that meeting really, really well, and if that person needs some help, then maybe I could assist by offering a suggestion. But I don't want to be so intimidating that when I show up, everybody goes, oh, Buckland's here. You know, he's just going to spend all the time talking because he's red, and he just has to have his own way, and he's just going to blab, and nobody, it doesn't really matter what anybody says. I don't want that reputation because I know that that's a reputation of somebody who has a personality like mine. So there are times that I just have to be really quiet and just let everybody else do things and I blend in with what's going on. Took me a while to figure that out. If you're real emotional and, and you've got that caring, loving personality, um, you might want to withhold offering to help somebody. Because if you offer to help too fast, then you shortchange the conversation and then you have one more task to do. And maybe that person, all that person wants you to do is listen to them. They don't want you to do anything for them. If you're somebody that likes to organize and you want to organize everything, if you organize somebody's life and they don't want to be organized, you'll offend them. And you have to hold back on your organization. So you go over to a friend's house. It's a total disaster area. You go, you know, I'd be happy to come over and help you clean your house. You say that to a lady. That lady might think, what? Do you think I'm a terrible housekeeper? And now all of a sudden you're caught because the answer is yes. Look at this dump. It is a total mess. And then she's like, oh, so now I feel really bad because you came into my house and it has to be perfect now. And you've, they've, they've, they've had an amygdala spike. They're misreading everything. They're, they're feeling super offended and frustrated because you just offered to help. And they, they viewed that as an offense in some way. And so what you're really looking at is what's the right blend. Um, and so that's what you want to help them to see is so you pray what's the right blend. And the last one is for the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom in the moment when they need it. Tell me more. How can my child have the right blend? And how can God prompt my son or daughter in the moment to be wise so that they know what to do? Because they will have their own struggles and their own victories. I mean, your kids probably do some things really, really well. And um, they're just going to have to have the right way to put all those things together. Adam, anything that comes to your mind about this that you want to say? I think um, just... Uh praying for the Holy Spirit's guidance in this and, and really even in the life of your child um, and recognizing when he is moving, when he's prompting them and addressing that. Like that that wasn't you, that wasn't me, but God's at work here, right? And we're open to him and his movement. I think Peter calls that sicking the Holy Spirit on him. Um, so let me, let me pray and, and we'll wrap up. Well, Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that uh, you have blessed us but you've also equipped us. And uh, Lord, as we endeavor to become better equipped, uh, thank you for the 
information you've given us. And God, I pray that this information would be used to further relation with you and with our children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.